Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So, how does Christian sanctification work? Well, we're going to spend some time talking about how it doesn't work. Uh, in, in the hands of Word of Faith heretics like uh, David Crank or Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland, they basically are teaching a form of, uh, of a stream of theology that comes from the mind science cults. Have you ever heard of Christian science? Yeah, and what they teach you to do is deny reality. So if you're struggling with a particular sin, maybe you eat too much. Maybe you're struggling with anger or malice or maybe slander. Maybe, maybe you know, you're, you're just a person who's engaging in all kinds of juicy gossip. Well, when you're struggling with these sins, which really burble up from within you, from your sinful nature, is the right way, is the biblical way of producing the fruit in, of the Spirit in you to basically say to yourself positive affirmations, I am skinny, I am good looking, I am I'm the head and not the tail, is, is it, and then deny and refuse to say the truth about yourself? Is that what Christian sanctification is? The answer is no. And so what we're going to do today we're going to be in a lot of biblical texts. If you want to grab a Bible, something to write with, take some notes, I think it'd be helpful. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to head over to uh, <clears throat> Crank Ministries. That's what they call themselves now. I just They used to be Faith Church St. Louis, and now, now they're Crank Ministries. And with a name like that, who wants to take them seriously? And you shouldn't. We're going to be listening to David Crank give us a false teaching regarding Christian sanctification. And uh, and so we're, the name of the sermon we're going to be listening to is, Am I Going Crazy? And he's going to be taking verses out of context and teach you overtly to not say the truth about yourself. That's not how Christian sanctification works. So we're going to be in a lot of biblical texts today. So grab a Bible. Let's uh, head on over. We're going to whirl up the desktop here. And uh, there's our <clears throat> web browser. And uh, let's drop into the sermon where he's kind of making the point about, you know, we're going to hear him quickly say that as a man thinketh, so he is. And we'll take a look at that as well as some other verses along the way. Here we go. Okay, so that happy, relaxed feeling that makes you feel okay is different from the toxicity of thought. That's why the Bible said, as a man thinketh, so is he. Everybody shout it, all churches, as a man thinketh, so is he. One more time. Now, we're going to note something here. Uh, when you take a verse out of context, you always got to put it back in context and maybe check some good uh, you know, alternative translations to see if you're uh, if you're understanding the biblical text correctly. So you've probably heard it from somebody that you know, or maybe you believe that oh, the Bible teaches as you think of the, so are you. So you you better be thinketh thinketh uh, think of positively. 
I can't even say it without messing it up. Thinketh positively. There we go. So, but that is that really what the Bible says? That you know, in order to get positive results out of your life, you got to think positive thoughts. I mean, after all, as man thinketh, so is he. Well, yeah, you're going to be surprised to learn that that's not what the Bible says at all. And so we're gonna we're gonna apply two rules here. Number one, context, context, context. But what we're also going to do is we're going to consult a couple of different translations, because sometimes when you read the biblical text out of context, uh, if somebody's quoting like from the King James, they may be doing that in order to create the impression that God, the Holy Spirit, intended us for uh, us to understand something, but they're engaging in a fast one. So what I'm going to do here, let's go and let's pull up the King James, and Proverbs 23 is our text. And so in order to apply context, context, context here, the verse in question uh, is verse 7. Here it is out of context. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And already we got a problem here because you'll note the, the, the word for, for, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means we're in the middle of a thought. We're in the middle of a concept being taught in Scripture. Now, remember, in order to rightly handle God's Word, the job of a pastor is to help somebody understand the proper sense. So my question now is, can we take this verse, rip it out of context, and come up with a conclusion that positive thoughts produce Christian sanctification in our lives? Yeah, see, when you put it that way, it may be not. It may be not teaching that. So let me back this up, and we'll go to verse one, and we'll add a little bit of context after verse seven as well to see if we can see what's going on. And we'll read this in the King James. So when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, all right, think king or something like that. Consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. So eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shall thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. I'm going to sound Shakespearean when I do that. <laughs> Okay, so what's going on here? So you'll note that the King James helps us out a little bit because in the immediate context, we can see that uh, these Proverbs are kind of being woven together about wise actions when in the presence of a ruler, when in the presence or at dinner with somebody who's stingy and greedy, uh, how to conduct yourself in a uh, precarious situation such as this with wisdom. That's really the point of Proverbs. So let's then do a little cross-reference work. We're going to take a look at the same text then from the ESV, which is a great modern translation. And we'll, uh, we'll reread all of the verses here and see if this makes a little bit more sense. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, 
Observe carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward the heaven. Do not eat the bread of one who is stingy, do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. So when you put it back in context and then cross-reference it with a modern translation, uh, we can definitively say that uh, Proverbs 23.7 doesn't say that in order to uh, control your, you know, it, in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit and engage and experience Christian sanctification, that we must engage in positive thinking. That's not what this text says at all. So already David Crank now has a strike against him, and here's the reason why because he's twisted Proverbs 23, 7 to make it appear that it is saying something that it doesn't. And this is in the context of trying to teach people how to engage in positive thoughts in order to get better results from their lives. Mm. See, is the reason why we have so many things go wrong in our life because we just don't think positively enough? Or does it have to do with the fact that we are fallen, that we are experiencing the corrupting influences of sin within our own life and collectively, that we are experiencing other people sinning against us and its ramifications and its consequences, as well as we sinning against other people and ourselves and sinning against God and experiencing in our lives the consequences of that. You see, when you put it that way, you sit there and go, well, it's probably because of sin. Bingo. Now you're, now you're on to it. So, all right, David Crank already has strike one. Let me uh, replay the strike so that you can hear it. And this is a twisting of Proverbs 23, verse 7. Toxicity of thought. That's why the Bible said, as a man thinketh, so is he. Everybody shout it. All churches, as a man thinketh, so is he. One more no, uh, Proverbs 23.7 isn't about toxicity of thought. That's not, the, that's not what's being addressed there at all. Strike one. More time loud. What? As a man. So you think bad, you live bad. You think bad, you live bad? No, that's not the problem. So here's where we'll do a little more comparative work. And this is going to require us to address what Scripture says. So... As Christians, then, when it comes to sanctification, let's take a look at a text like Colossians chapter 3. I mean, after hearing the gospel, by the way, and boy, I, you know, I just really want to back up and get a, give us a little bit of gospel here, shall we? So, uh, yeah, because it's so well stated in Colossians chapter 2. So, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, this is for context's sake. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Good Christology here. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead... 
in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So here in Colossians 2, you, you always remember that we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. And Christians, we are saved unto good works. So the reason why, uh, well, we mortify our sinful flesh and work with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death what is earthly in us is because we already are saved. But all that being said, then you'll note here the gospel that, co- that Paul preaches in Colossians 2 reminds us of the fact that, well, on the day of judgment, when the books are open, the record of debt that stood against you as a Christian, that's been torn out of your book. Christ has set it aside, nailed it to the cross, and he canceled the whole thing, and he's forgiven you all of your trespasses. Mm, good stuff. So, you know, all of that being said, then you'll look at Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 20. If with Christ, then you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These all indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we can see here that uh, Paul's getting at something here now, and this has to deal with the topic of sanctification biblically. You know, all, you know, the, the, all those, those rules, do not drink, do not smoke, do not chew, do not go with girls who do, all of that stuff, that's all, yeah, that's not really going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. And note that these have an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion, which is what we're hearing from David Crank. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So if you have been raised with Christ, and you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And now here's what we got to note here. The Bible does teach us to focus our minds and our thoughts, not on the here and the now, but on the what's coming. Uh, Not to focus our minds on the world and its well, what it holds out is valuable, but instead to set our minds on the things that are above. Now, this is not about engaging in denial or positive thinking for the purpose of getting rid of negative thoughts and negative results. No, the idea then is is that our faith is in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and we have a hope then, a hope that in the new world that is coming, that Christ is bringing with him on the day of judgment, that uh, we will finally be, be set free from well, the curse that we're under, slave, you know, our sinful flesh, the, well, the, the temptations of the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. You get the idea here. So right now, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So therefore, watch this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And note the words, in you, put to death what is earthly. Yeah, it's presently in you right now. It's in me. And here's what we're, how we're, we're called to do. This is known as mortification. And this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And these are the things that are earthly within you. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, this is idolatry. You see, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, and this has to do with how you conducted your life, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is all and in all. So put on then, note written to Christians, as God's chosen and holy beloved ones, put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So you note the Apostle Paul, no denying of reality with the Apostle Paul, and no denying of reality with uh, any of Christ's apostles or even the prophets of the Old Testament. Instead, there is a sober-minded confession of our sin and a a requirement to evaluate yourself, find those things that are worldly and sinful within you, put them off put him to death, and put on the new person that you are in Christ. And so having, uh, you, you put on as then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, you know, no denial of what you're doing or what you are or just pretending like it's not there. That's mind science cult stuff. Instead, sober-mindedly confessing acknowledging that that's in you, putting it to death, and putting on the new person that you are in Christ. Uh, Titus, uh, Paul puts it this way in Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and training us, training us Christians, to do what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's a good text. What about Peter on this? It'd be good to throw in a little Peter. Uh, Peter warns us in 1 Peter 2, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And you'll note what we're reading here in 1 Peter 2, Paul will say his own way of saying it, but I completely agree with Peter on this. We still have a sinful nature to contend with. So Peter is admonishing us, abstain from the passions of your flesh, the one you presently have, yeah, that old Adam, that old corrupted sinful flesh, which it waged war against your soul. Instead, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of 
visitation. Okay, that's not a bad way of putting it. And how does Paul put it in Galatians 5? I say, walk by the Spirit. And this means by the power of the Spirit, by faith. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, they are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit, they are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You, you get the idea. So you'll note that when it comes to Christian sanctification, no denial of what you are, no denial of what you're doing, no denial that those sinful passions well up from within you. Instead, sober-mindedly identifying those sinful passions that burble up from the temptations of the world and your own sinful flesh, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, mortifying them and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So big difference altogether. And then this would connect uh, with what we've talked about earlier in this previous episode of Fighting for the Faith regarding the Pelagian heresy, but I think is helpful here. Uh, if we say we have no sin, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. But see, the word of faith heresy that we're going to be, we're hearing in the, in the voice of David Crank teaches us to deny reality and just pretend like it's not there and use positive words to somehow change the course of our life. But you're going to note then, if you believe that your words create reality and that the problem is a lack of positive words in the world, then you're not going to confess your sin because to confess that you've sinned is a negative confession. That's the soup that, that David Crank is in, and that's kind of the problem. So let me back this up just a little bit for the sake of context and see where he goes. All churches, as a man thinketh, so is he. One more time, loud, what? As a man so you think bad, you live bad. You no, you have a sinful flesh, sinful desires as a result of it. That's where the evil comes from within you. That's why Paul says it's in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. The passions of your flesh war against the spirit. That's a fight within you. You think hyper, you live hyper. You think aggravated, you'll be aggravated. You think aggravated, you'll be aggravated? No. See, he's not correctly identified that these things come as a result of our fall into sin and the fact that Christians still have a sinful flesh. There's a lot going on up there. Raise your hand at all campuses if, if there's more going on than you actually thought were going on up there, right? So 
so we change the way our hypothal our, our, our brain, our hyperchondriac. We're we're hyper, so this is actually sending and secreting chemicals that are messing with us. Again, yeah. See, the reason why you have negative thoughts because your brain secreted chemicals that mess with you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. This week, for instance, Cynthia Mandel, incredible woman from our church in Florida. Give it up for Cynthia. Her, she's had a life change. She was sexually assaulted and abused when she was a little girl, about six years old, seven, eight, nine, ten, and the guy would give her suckers, and so it led her to an eating disorder. And when I met her through our television ministry, actually through Joel Osteen, I was speaking with Joel, and she said, that's my pastor. She came. She's lost a couple hundred pounds. She's in charge of her life. She's actually uh, very, very wealthy. She took me and Nicole to the car, uh, to the airport in her car, uh, because she changed the way she was thinking, Cynthia did, so she changed the way she's living. Well, as usual, Nicole was late. Come on. Nicole's going to be late. She changed the way she was thinking. Yet scripture talks about the fruit of the spirit and by the spirit putting to death what is sinful within us. Mm. When Jesus comes, I'll be like, wait, just one minute. So now we're in traffic and Cynthia's doing the best she can this week as we're heading to Columbia. And I had to say, man, I'm getting stressed out. We're not going to make it. But then again, all this stuff is being, all this adrenaline is hitting my system. And I feel myself, my blood pressure's going up, hypertension's going up. And then I thought, I don't have to be in Columbia. Nicole has to be in Columbia. <laughs> I'm just going because she's on a tour and it's the only time I can see her. So I'm going to go. So in the back of the car in her Volvo, I just got real calm. And when we got to the airport, there were other problems with COVID tests and all kinds of delays. But guess what? We still made the plane and I was all calm and Nicole was all stressed. Because she's been missing this fabulous teaching. Come on, somebody right now. But it's imperative. My point is, it's imperative for your health. So here's what I want you to understand. You cannot control your environment, but you can certainly control how it affects your brain. Can't control that person at work. Can't control the surroundings. You can't control the economy. You can't control the weather, but you can control you. Now, here's the question I have to ask you. This is important right now because this is a hook. This is to get you in touch with your feelings. Do you feel like a victim or a victor? I mean, I know that's... <laughs> How come the Apostle Paul never talked like this? How come Peter never talked like this? How come Jesus never talked like this? You, you kind of get the point. Uh, this, is, this is not Christian sanctification. That's the right thing to say. But... You have to ask yourself that tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Do I feel like a victim right now or do I feel like a victor? Because there's going to be thoughts swarming through your brain, in your frontal lobe, in your conscious mind. And here's a word I want you to write down. Yeah. <laughs> those, guys, those props are not creepy at all, man. It's just really, just. Automatized. Automatized. All right, I, I, I through your brain in your frontal lobe in your conscious mind and here's a word I want you to write down automatized does the word automatized appear in scripture nope not at all automatized 
So apparently we never knew how to, Christian sanctification worked. Until recently, when brain science gave us a word, the word is automatized. Neurosurgeons tell me that an automatized thought is when you think it, and then you think it enough, and it becomes automatized in your brain. And it takes, that's why I said you can't miss any of these four sessions, because it takes a minimum of 21 days to automatize a thought And that's why now you're uncomfortable with your life because your life didn't turn out like it was supposed to. So you know you're not being who you were supposed to be. Yeah, don't you think that might have something to do with, you know, sin? (laughs) What do the apostles say? Put to death what is earthly in you. Uh, Don't give in. Don't conform your lives to the passions of your sinful flesh. Uh, The reason is... uh, so he's making it sound like, oh, see, the reason why there, you, you didn't turn out as good as your life didn't turn out as good as you hoped it would is because you accidentally automatized a bunch of negative thoughts. Says no biblical text anywhere in scripture. Listen again. To automatize a thought. And that's why now you're uncomfortable with your life because your life didn't turn out like it was supposed to. So, you know, you're not being who you were supposed to be. Yeah, that's because of our sin. This other version of you that you don't even like. Yeah, again, that's because of sin. So the thought that was swarming around your brain started firing together and wiring together. And now you think I am an alcoholic. I cannot control myself. I always go back to. Hmm. So you've had negative thoughts automatized and now you erroneously think that you're an alcoholic. Hmm. Let me go back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. All right. Galatians 5. It is for freedom. You were called to freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Uh, But through love, serve one another. All right. Let's see. So if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is the normal Christian life. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Ooh, look at that. Drunkenness. Drunkenness, according to Scripture, is not the result of negative thoughts automatizing inside of your brain. Drunkenness is the result of your fall into sin, my fall into sin. It is one of the works of your sinful flesh. So we are way off here because he's now taken a legitimate sin that scripture describes as, well, you know, one of the works of the flesh. And he's basically recast this as, oh, well, you're not really an alcoholic. You just have negative thoughts that automatize, which are deceiving you into believing you're an alcoholic. So the thought that was swarming around in your brain started firing together and wiring together. And now you think I am an alcoholic. I cannot control myself. I always go back to porn. I always go back to alcohol. Yet it- These are sins. It's not always. It is not never. Now you're reprogramming it. And if you didn't believe in God, however we do, but if you didn't believe in God, this works through the brain that God made. So So apparently pagans can experience Christian sanctification 
by understanding how automatized thoughts work. If you will use your brain with supernatural help and go to the right church and do what's right, you will literally reform your brain through an automatized thought. Go ahead, give God... So we're, we're no longer having Christian sanctification. You're going to reform your brains to automatize thoughts. Says no biblical text anywhere. Praise today. So this is where when you rewire your brain, certain people say certain things I just won't say. Like people say, I'm getting old. I would never say that. Just, there's, just don't say that. Right, because the mind science cults and the word of faith heresy teaches you to not say anything that's actually true in reality. You know, like, I'm a sinner. I'm getting old. I'm going to die. You, know, you don't say, though, no, 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 no. That'll create negative results. Because I'm just getting fat. <laughs> I never, ever, 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 ever say that. I don't even say I got a belly. I say I got abs. I know it's not true, but I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. Go with me on this right now. Did you hear what he just said? It's, it's unbelievable. In fact, <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever say that. I don't even say I got a belly. I say I got abs. I know it's not true, but I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. Go with There's our second strike. So he, he doesn't say the truth that he has a belly. Instead, he says the lie, I have abs. Because why? Because if, you know, ha, ha, well, he took Romans 4 out of context. Let's take a look at it, shall we? Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we have that verse where God, it says that God says, you know, calls the things that are not as though they were. And he has turned this into that somehow now that means that we are to uh, to not say the truth about ourselves, you know, like I'm a sinner, or I'm fat, or I'm old, or you name the whatever the sin is. Instead, you you say the opposite of it. You say, I I am blessed. I am wealthy. I am skinny. I have six pack abs. You deny reality because God calls the things that that are not as though they were. That is a complete and horrific twisting of Romans chapter 4. Now, in order to understand what's going on in Romans chapter 4, we're going to apply our three rules again. Context, context, context. And here's the thing. When I apply context here, this passage says nothing. Zip. Zero. Nada. Nunca nadia. You get the idea. It says nothing about you positively confessing and denying reality and saying what you expect in your life or what you hope to be true in order to automatize your thoughts so that it becomes true. It's not what this text is about at all. This is a passage that deals with the subject of salvation by grace through faith apart from works. And there is a context when it says that God says about the things that are not as though they were. It has to do with God's ability to create something ex nihilo, out of nothing. So we'll start at verse one, because this is a great lesson, by the way, on salvation by grace through faith apart from works. We're saved unto good works, not saved by them. You get the idea. So Paul says, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified, justified here means to be declared righteous by works, 
Well, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And now quoting Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Listen to those words again. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. And so watch with the analogy that Paul is using here. I mean, all of us know this, you know, when you when you work for an employer, when you clock in and then clock out and then clock in and clock out and you do that for two weeks or half of a month, and then you turn in your time card to HR, what happens is, is that your employer owes you money. It's not a gift. And so when your paycheck arrives, you don't sit there and go, oh, for me, wow, I never knew. Oh, my employer is so generous. What a beautiful gift that he's, no one does that because everybody knows that's their hard earned money that they earned. And if your employer doesn't pay you what he owes you, oh, wow, you know, that, that's the stuff of lawsuits, right? And that's the point that Paul's making here. Salvation isn't a wage, it's a gift. So now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Now to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Mm. Romans 4, 5, just mm, beautiful. In other words, when it comes to your salvation, uh, you, you might want to go on strike. You might want to say, nope, I refuse to lift a finger to do any work at all for my salvation because God justifies the ungodly and that's who I am, <laughs> right? Yeah, me, yeah, we all are that. So to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, it's credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Oh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So then is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And this is an important question because the Judaizers of Paul's day were saying, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Balagna, that's not what the scripture teaches at all. In fact, the Judaizers fall under the condemnation of the anathemas of Galatians 1. You who would be justified by the law. You, you, you who preach a gospel contrary to the one that Paul preached. Let, you know, if anyone does that, let them be damned. Anathema. All right. So is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, then how then was it counted to him? Was it before he had been circumcised? No, it was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the purpose was then to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteous would be counted, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the, un, of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham that he had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, well, then faith is null 
and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why then it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham, his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who believes, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had told Sarah, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. When, uh, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no one believed made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, you know, I just read through it and kept reading. So when somebody says, well, the Bible teaches that God calls the things that do not exist as though they exist— uh, uh, here, here, here's the words, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's talking about God being able to create things out of nothing. And God brings us back from the dead. He's the one who raises us to life by grace through faith. So now we got a problem here, and that is, is that we got two strikes now against David Crank. David Crank has wrongly taught that, you know, that, that Proverbs 23, 7 teaches that you've got to think positive, faith-filled words, because as a man thinketh, so is he. Out of context, bad translation. That's not what uh, Proverbs 23, 7 is saying at all. And now he's misappropriated and wrongly taught that somehow Romans 4, 17 teaches us that, you know, if you're fat or you're struggling with a sin or you have some kind of an addiction, that you, you don't say, I'm struggling with addiction. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Or you don't, you don't say the truth about yourself. You deny reality because by doing so, you can automatize positive thoughts in your minds. It's not what this text says at all. This is really bad. So now, I mean, this is self-deception at this point. Backing it up. So I'm just getting fat. <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever say that. I don't even say I got a belly. I say I got abs. I know it's not true, but I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. Go with me on this right now. That's not what Romans 4, 17 teaches. You, you don't call nothing. God is the one who calls the things that are not as though they were. He brings the dead to life. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. And it's all in the context of salvation by grace through faith apart from works. So what is happening is the information that is going inside your soul in your subconscious mind, you have to capture those thoughts. That's why the Bible said again, casting down all imaginations. And every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Strike three. 
He now just twisted 2 Corinthians 10. Let's take a look. So uh, Proverbs 23, 7 doesn't teach what he says it says. Uh, Romans 4, 17 doesn't teach what he says it says. He's twisted that text. And now he twists 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll put it back in context, and we'll take a look at what's going on, because the verses in question are, are the verse in question is actually uh, verse 5 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. So Paul writes, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, see Ephesians 6, by the way, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to, well, destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Hmm. So let me ask you, is this here, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, is it a lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to soberly say, you know what, I am overweight? Does, is, is that, is that a, a lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God? Nope. Is, if you're struggling with obesity, is, that, is, is your body, has it raised itself against the knowledge of God? Nope. If you're struggling with an addiction, you know, and so he used alcoholism and in, in drunkenness and things like this. Is, is your drunkenness a lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God? Nope. Is it a sin? Yep. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, well, now we're up to three strikes. Wow. Bang, bang, bang. Those came in pretty quick. Proverbs 23, 7, well, twisted. Uh, Romans 4, 17, twisted. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, twisted. It's not teaching what he says it's teaching. The mind science cults are behind the word of faith heresy, and this is not Christian sanctification. It is a counterfeit, and it absolutely cuts you off from the real solution to sober-mindedly confess your sin and cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, mortify your sinful flesh so that the Spirit may produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. What we're hearing here, this isn't Christian sanctification. This is a denial of reality. Listen again. Capture those thoughts. That's why the Bible said again, casting down all imaginations and every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So when the thought comes to your mind, you can either process that in this big old giant processor you have and automatize it and think, I'm always fat, I'm always fat, I'm always fat. I always find losers, I always find losers, I always find, there's, I, no, 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 when you automatize, now you're saying, no, I, my family had a predisposition for being big boned and retaining water. No, it's not teaching you to confess your own culpability in the results that you have in your life. 
No, 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 no. My family might have had a predisposition for being big boned and retaining water, but I'm not fat. But that's not me because I'm not going to eat what they ate. I'm not going to think like they thought. And I'm going to renew my mind because I can be who God called me to be. And I'm going to be that. Come on. I'm going to be that. This isn't Christian sanctification. This is a denial of reality, which is always at the heart of the mind science cults. I remember the late Walter Martin in one of the lectures series that he gave on the mind science cults and Christian science. He told us a joke about um, a sad outcome, if you would, for somebody who was a purveyor of the mind science heresies and teaching you to deny reality. He said, there, there, you know, and there's the, the Christian scientist in the fires of hell truly experiencing the consequences of the rebellion against Christ and God and their idolatry. And there they are off in the corner of the pit saying to themselves, I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. But that's the, that's the rub. You are. They are. So, brothers and sisters, when you hear somebody teaching the word of faith heresy, understand this. This isn't something that is semi-dangerous. This is ultimately dangerous because it teaches you to deny reality. It creates a disconnect between the truth of who you are and what you've done and the consequences of it. And by doing that, it cuts you off from the solution. The solution is Christ and him crucified for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, which requires you to sober-mindedly say, yep, I'm ungodly. Yeah, the results I've gotten in my, in my life, they're my fault. They're the result of my doing. You know, the reason why I am ex experiencing the consequences of sin is because I have sinned. And so cry out to God then for mercy. Confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the Christian then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, daily cries out to God, the Holy Spirit, for forgiveness, mercy, and strength, so that they will not sin against God, but have the strength then to mortify their sinful flesh. This is what we're called to. This is the struggle that all Christians are in. And guys like David Crank, they have you deny reality. It's, it's a, well, an example of cognitive dissonance rather than Christian sanctification. Hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as a vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Mm -hmm.